2: uh, Benny, a big hello to you. Guess what we're going to talk about now?
0: What are we going to talk about, Pat? What's up?
2: Banshees, werewolves, vampires, and other creatures of the night. And that's why we've got Varla Venter in the house. Sounds That's scary. Sounds
0: creepy. Horrific. In the it, it
2: sounds creepy. I know. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the stuff that uh, nightmares are made of for many of us. <laughs> uh, but what is really the question is, what is our obsession with this? We are totally obsessed with it in so many ways. I mean, do you know that people were grieving over Wolverine's demise, I still don't think he's gone. That I, I just think that's a big hoax. <laughs> if we're crying over Wolverine, it? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, no, Logan, come back. Uh. Why? Why, out of all the characters we have out there, why are we so drawn to certain characters? And do we dare even mention the famous vampire? everybody like what is going on that's why we've got varla here but varla ventura joining me here today that is a fabulous 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 author of banshees werewolves vampires and other creatures at night and you know many other books but the question really is i think there is an obsession i think that we are plugging into an energy so to speak But what is the energy we are plugging into? And why is it that most people believe in Hollywood, if it's a werewolf or a vampire, we could pretty much make some money out of this. But how about the Banshee? Why are we leaving them out? Varla, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, thank you so much for having me back. I, you always pose such great questions. And I, I mean, immediately, I think we can think of werewolves and vampires as a certain kind of archetype. Yep. Um, we're obsessed with them, you know, in, in movies and, in, in folklore, um, in, in oral history. We have, um, you know, the werewolves are sort of, you know, they, they're, they're of wolves, so they have a bit of the dog, yeah. the the dog like loyalty. Um, we are often made to sort of feel bad for, or we find ourselves feeling bad for the werewolf. The werewolf is tormented. The werewolf does not choose to be this vicious beast, but transforms almost without his own or her own control. And um, often you will see the idea that the Werewolf actually, in a much more romantic sense, will kind of pull itself away from the ones that it that it loves. Um, you know, it's like that that bad boyfriend that said, "Oh, I'll just hurt you. I've got to leave." You know, <laughs> so you yeah. end up with this sort of werewolf on the outskirts, um, looking back in, but yet still trying to fit in with society. And you you kind of have a lot more sympathy for the werewolf. Um and with vampires, of course, we have a completely different archetype. It's a much more lusty and licentious kind of uh attraction. The uh you know, the idea of immortality and this sort of like immortal behavior and uh the endless love that you could have with a vampire because you could both live forever. These are all kind of things that play in um you know that vampires are traditionally well are often depicted certainly in in hollywood movies and in the last century as very very attractive and and charming and um you know have a certain allure and ability to kind of uh entice you into their world um traditionally however vampires did take on a lot more uh, terrifying and yeah. kind of hideous approach not unlike mermaids um d- not to derail too much but you find that also with mermaids that our common view toward mermaids is that they're beautiful um but there are a lot of old stories of very hideous kind of horrifying creatures that um the mermaids either transform into or um they are seen upon closer inspection yeah as being you know pretty hideous (laughs) well listen
2: listen though it's really interesting right Because when we start to think about this, uh, can I just call it the evolution of the archetype? Let's just call it that. Because if we go back and we look at some of these archetypes and we think about what was so fascinating about them that authors wrote about them, that books were written, then movies were written, uh, and we think about if we just take the idea of Dracula for a moment and that character, the evolution now we've gone through. I believe, has matched the culture that we live in. So we went from this, oh, sucky vampire, really scary, Bella Lugosi, that's real old school, you know, that version into the evolution of, okay, wait a minute, maybe we can feel sorry for this character, to then now the absolute fascination and, you know, uh, uh, admiration and lust, right, for the vampire character, right all the way through to look at these characters and really look at what the public remembers, right? Even if we look at Interview with a Vampire, that famous scene between Brad Pitt and Antonio Banderas, that is the one we remember out of that movie, right? We don't even remember (laughs) Tom Cruise. We remember over and over and over again that look between those two guys. What the heck is going on?
3: Well, and I think you also have, um, you know, there was a time when these creatures were more cautionary and, you know, don't go into the woods because there's a vampire or there's a werewolf. Now, um, we're quite the opposite. We go out seeking. We, we, you know, and, and younger kids, you know, teenagers, like there's this obsession with that, um, and, and less fear of things of kind of the supernatural realm. I'm not, uh, arguing that we're desensitized to it, but there's mm-hmm. a different relationship. And so certainly the idea that these creatures have evolved with us. And that, you know, um, they once served one purpose and now perhaps they serve an entirely different purpose. At one point it was, you know, cautionary and preventative and now it's uh, adventurous and exciting. And so there's definitely kind of just such a huge shift. Uh, I mean, you go all the way back to, you mm-hmm. know, during the, the the 15th century and the 16th century when people were accused of being a vampire or a werewolf in order, in much in the same way that people were accused of being a witch. Um, right. Sometimes it was because of suspicious behavior or, you know, diseases, but other times it was just a way to scapegoat people to um take what they had. So um, well, much you- in the way that, that witches were persecuted. So our relationship now is quite different. Now we sort of emulate it. Maybe it's that, you know, finally the vampire gets this day Not in the moonlight, not in the sun. We learned about the sunscreen in the previous hour too. So vampires don't have to worry about that.
2: But you know, it's really fascinating about this, even with that aspect of it. and, And let's talk about this. You know, you have been immersed in this you know, for years and years and years. And so I love speaking with you because you have such different perspectives on things. And, you know, know, I want to ask you this question. If you had to think about what some of the most, I think, aha moments have been for you in the journey and the discovery of things, you know, what is it that we're now finding that people love to really think about with these characters, with these ideas, but also date back in time? Like, I'm not just talking about the idea of, oh, we wake up one day, we got television, and then what? The vampire, uh, you know, series. This is an old conversation. It goes back in history, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. And I think, for me, one of, you know, I've always sort of enjoyed being scared. Um, maybe that's a product of having, you know, grown up in an environment that was relatively safe and yet open to kind of the supernatural realm. Maybe it's just a product of my generation, watching a lot of horror films as a young kid, you know, probably seeing The Shining at far too young of an age, <laughs> Um But I've always kind of liked that, that thrill of being scared. And I, and I do think about that. And, you know, my, my approach to that has sort of changed over the years. Um, in much the same way that people like roller coasters. And in, in a lot of ways, I think that while I initially believed that some of these stories were really told to keep people close to the fire and keep the children from running off and slipping into the bog, um, my, my, idea of that has changed somewhat because I do think that it we we need we need distractions, and so to be truly scared or frightened in a safe environment, perhaps under the covers or snuggled up in your parents' arms as they're telling you ghost stories, is actually a wonderful distraction It's a practice in kind of you know your your heart rate getting up and the thrill and the excitement, and yet knowing that um that you're still relatively safe. So I do think that there's something culturally that we crave about that, that it's the ultimate distraction to feel scared but not actually be threatened. Um, you know, most people don't want the interactive fear experience. And there are some like zombie sleepovers and things like that you can do, but <laughs> that's yeah. a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's definitely something I think about is sort of our relationship with fear and what we are fearful of. We are fearful of other things today. Um, Maybe, you know, we have bigger issues that we're uh, more fearful of because we're more connected globally and we have, you know, the web to connect us and we we don't um, have to be worried about what's happening in the next village over so much because right. we can, you know, zip on zip zip over there in a the car and find out. So our relationship to fear has definitely changed, and in that way, um, our relationship to these fearsome and loathsome creatures has certainly changed.
2: Well, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about, you know, what are some of the the newer let's just call them characters, that are taking the stage, stage front? You know, what is it now with our fascination that even gets some of these ideas and characters in the superhero realm? And what is it that we could know that's still relevant for the youngsters of today? Can we literally make friends with our demons. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: The Psychic Professor's Show, The Voices of Spirit Radio, with international medium and spirit artist Dr. Susan Barnes on Transformation Talk Radio, featuring a variety of spiritual topics such as psychic art, spiritualism, EVP, psychic development, and mediumship. This hip call-in show provides listeners with breakthrough wisdom to enliven and enlighten their lives. Visit spiritartgallery.net for show days and times.
1: call in for intuitive readings and visit jenroyster.com for more information
0: what is a brilliant culture and how do we create them why are they important claudette rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you design a culture that is authentic innovative and successful learn how to create change with cultural brilliance radio the dna of organizational excellence and claudette rowley to learn more or work with claudette Visit ClaudetteRowley.com.
4: Are you ready to tap into the Healer Within? Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. Did you know the real doctor is the source that lives within you, that heals within you minute by minute every day? The Healer Within is the innate intelligence of the human body. When we cut our hand with a piece of glass, we don't have to command the body to close the wound and grow new skin. It knows how to heal itself. We do have to nourish the skin by disinfecting it and remove the glass, or it cannot heal. The Innate Healer relies upon us to assist in this healing process. Our role is to identify its needs, provide the substances required for the healing, and remove the obstacle. Contact us to achieve optimal health at 888-777-4232. That's 888-777-4232. And visit us at maryjanemack.com.
2: Welcome back. You got any questions about werewolves, banshees, vampires? Got any questions? Want to talk with us? How have they played a role in your life? I'd love to know. 1-800-930-2819. 1-800-930-2819. You know, before we jump ahead, uh, can can we just uh, take a minute, Varla, take a minute and let folks know, first of all, how they can find out more about you, but also more importantly, what's your social media, getting copies of the books, how do they do that?
3: Yes, um, so you can visit my website, it's varlaventura.net, and I also am on Facebook under the name Varla Ventura, and on both of those, I have links to... My most recent books. You can also just look my name up on, you know, something like Amazon or IndieBound, and you'll find uh, all of my books, including Banshees, Werewolves, Vampires, and Other Creatures of the Night, and my more recent um, Fairy as and Changelings, which I believe we talked about last time I was a guest on your
2: show. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about female. Vampires, banshees, and women, women that are the villains and women that have been obsessed. Why? So do we even know? I I mean, I think one of the most interesting things is when we talk about people that have written books about these characters, these archetypes, right? The question is, where do women fit in in the development and the growth of the archetypal discussion here? women. I was telling you that Anne Rice, I mean, I am just like the minute, the day I found Anne Rice was the day I really started to read. And I I thought, why, Pat? I mean, what was it about it? What is it that women bring to the conversation that is different than what men have previously brought?
3: Well, I mean, I think we can probably credit Mary Shelley for being kind of the, uh, you know, the the icon of um, female authors that sort of brought the monster forward in a whole new way. And I think that, you know, women, of course, have a different perspective on things. So, for example, you know, with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, while the, you know, the, the lead character was Dr. Frankenstein... He was obsessed with bringing life to something. And Shelley actually took uh, inspiration for that. Uh, she had lost a child. And her grief, she turned into this sort of, she went for a while down that dark path. Um, we saw this also in Stephen King's Pet Cemetery of what would you do to bring back someone that you love? And um, that sort of developed into this you know, the Frankenstein, uh, Frankenstein's monster and that sort of resurrection. So we have her to sort of credit as, you know, perhaps not the not the first, but certainly one of the most famous uh, female horror writers and horror writers of all time in that genre. Uh, with Anne Rice, I mean, Anne Rice brought something back that had sort of, you know, kind of fallen out of popularity and she brought it back with such fierceness and she brought it back with words and it turns out that she's a really great writer. So <laughs> anyone could have written a bunch of uh, you know, vampire stories. Of course vampire stories have been published throughout the throughout that sort of, I don't know, thirty year gap there between like the late sixties and the nineties. There there are plenty and I'm sure I'm sure callers will be able to cite specific uh favorites. <laughs> but she brought something back during that era. And, um you know, I think you had some cultural movements that just, gla- you know, were really happy to have that. You had, you know, the kind of the punk rock and the sort of early goths of the 70s and 80s were hungry for vampires, of course, and so they gravitated toward it. You had all the, um you know, the kids of the 60s and 70s reading comic books and being kind of obsessed with the tales from the crypts and things like that. And um, she just focused on the vampire legacy and did it in such a way that it just, you know, was kind of an, um, you know, this over overnight sensation. And yeah. so she really kind of transformed or maybe reminded us of what we were looking for in, um, you know, in our, in our vampire obsession. So she really brought that back.
2: Yeah. You know, what I love about this is, let's talk about this. This is like a little chicken and egg conversation.
1: It's like,
2: <laughs> this little chicken, I like this little chicken egg thing. The, the, uh, the yeah, the, the chicken is a vampire, the egg is a werewolf. No, but the question really is, is it consciousness that allowed for the development of the archetype? Is it the consciousness of the world? So let's just put it differently. Is it the world, the outside environment that brought forth the conversation using these characters to explain the outer world or is it the characters that bring forth the conversation to explain the outer world because you know there's the old saying on the inside on the outside so above so below everything is connected so where is the connection in consciousness to our view love or hate admire or disdain for the idea of these characters, because I got to tell you, Hollywood is like, we are not making a movie if we are not having superheroes and villains in it. It They're just not making money.
3: Well, I think that the sort of, you know, I think it's, it's a bit of a call and response. Oh, thank um, you. You know, during the... Um, during sort of like the, the Cold War era, when we had these, I mean, I I do think it kind of comes back to fear again, when we had these fears of like, on this huge grand scale, we had, you know, the fear that, you know, Russia was going to drop the bomb. It was like the Cold War. Yeah. Out mm-hmm. of that, um, to be afraid of something as um, sort of countrified and old-fashioned as a vampire, Maybe we, we became more obsessed with that because it was a, a comfort. I mean, it is definitely a chicken and the egg situation because you could you could look at it either way. You could go back to that you know that campfire scenario in which um, stories are used to protect and explain things in the world. Or you can, you know, go the opposite way and, you know, say that the story was born as a response to what was happening in the world. Uh, and, but either way, they're both kind of at their base. They're, they, I think they both come from a divine spark, especially when you're talking about literature or, um, you know, any kind of the creation of, of art and the way that uh, story itself specifically has evolved. Uh, sometimes, and writers will tell you this, and I'll tell you this, sometimes it just pops into your head and you don't know if it, maybe it develops because you put your own fears and your own ideas into it. What's your worst fear? Put that in a story. That's going to be a lot scarier than, you know, um, your next door neighbor's worst fear. So you have that spark that kind of initiates it and then other things add to it. So you really could you could look at it from both points of view. And I think you would be right in in either instance. You know, was it a product of or a response to?
2: Well, I think the one thing that we can agree on is, you know, your work coming forward. Uh, and, you know, what you're doing in the world is on the forefront of the energy that people are really sensing. I mean, let's talk about magical creatures for a moment because, you know, this is also, you know, part of what you're writing about and and, and the, the kind of level of consciousness that you're bringing to the understanding. Magical creatures. You know, I, I say that and I think about this now and I it and I, I'm struck by two things. I'm struck by magical creatures can show up now in so many ways in the world to represent the antithesis of the villain energy, right? So if there is sort of this villain energy that people sense, we saw this in World War II, right? You know, we saw the energy of what was going on during World War II and we saw, you know, the reign of Adolf Hitler. And then we also saw the comic book characters that developed from that. What can we expect (laughs) in the age we're living in now? What can we expect? We're going to take a short break when we come back what (laughs) if you all out there had to design your own villain and hero characters to depict the world we're living in now can we point to something going on in society today stay tuned we'll be right back
4: Isn't it time to put your health first, to give yourself the gift of whole body wellness? What if embracing unconditional love and self-care was the first step to wellness? Could you honor that for yourself? My name is Audrey Michelle, host of Rewired Life Radio and the author of Rewired Life, A Journey to Untangle Chronic Pain and Endometriosis. In my book, I share how I healed from 17 years of chronic pain and disease. Get your signed copy at AudreyMichelle.com book, spelled M-I-C-H-E-L.com slash book.
0: Tune in to The Psychic Professor's Show, The Voices of Spirit Radio, with international medium and spirit artist Dr. Susan Barnes on Transformation Talk Radio, featuring a variety of spiritual topics such as psychic art, spiritualism, EVP, psychic development, and mediumship. This hit call-in show provides listeners with breakthrough wisdom to enliven and enlighten their lives. Visit spiritartgallery.net for show days and times. Known for his keen sense of humor, contagious smile, and extensive esoteric wisdom, EJ translates deep spiritual wisdom into practical advice to empower you to live your happiest, most fulfilled experience. Mystic Living Radio, deep spiritual wisdom, practical advice with EJ, Eliyahu, Jihan. This hit show delivers profound experiences for all who want to live life to their deepest desires. Tune in monthly for Mystic Living Radio. Learn more by visiting vitaltransformation.com.
2: Yeah, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, everybody. Uh, you know, we are talking today about banshees, werewolves, vampires, other creatures, and you know, joining me here is Varla, Varla Ventura. Of course, she's written several books on the bizarre and the bizarre trivia, uh, but today we're talking about, you know, how do how do we, you know, that living our everyday lives? How do we make sense? Of what we're seeing that is so attractive to cultures all over the world, and you know, I think uh, Varda, what we were what we were looking at, and what the question is, is what will the future bring? you know, what will the future bring? Are we going to see a resurrection in vampire type movies or have we actually moved beyond? And I talked about the magical creature idea. And I think during the break, I was also mentioning superheroes. You know, right now, women, which we started to talk about, are making their mark in movies, albeit, I'm not saying equal pay because, you know, uh, Gal Gadot got basically 300000 for for uh, Wonder Woman and, and she ain't going to get much more for the next movie. But the impact is riveting. Children crying to get an autograph with her. So I want to ask you about this. What is it in our culture, societies, and not just in the U.S., all over the world, that are now looking at these Characters to help explain what's going on in the world.
3: Well, um, I'll, I'll take it back just to, just a moment yeah. to just touch on banshees because in the very beginning, you kind of were, you kind of said, well, you know, there, there's werewolves and vampires have a certain popularity, and um, banshees never really got their you know their their big rise. Um, and I think part of that reason is is that banshees are. Connected with with death, and often the death or disease um, or you know fatal illness of of someone you know near to you or near to your family. Traditionally, mm-hmm. that's the traditional definition of a banshee is sort of an, a harbinger of death. And yeah. vampires don't really represent death, although they um, are a supernatural creature of the afterlife. They they represent immortality. And and werewolves represent sort of a, another form of immortality, and also you know abilities to like shape shift and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think you know um, today we have a very different attitude toward death than people had you know hundred five hundred centuries ago, but nonetheless we still have a certain fascination with it. We do like to sort of keep it in its own category. And we don't always associate things as the paranormal with death. Um, The rise of sort of the spiritualist movement in the late Victorian era was was primarily um, spirited forward uh, by women. There were many, many women who uh, became very instrumental in the spiritualist movement whether they were, you know, like the Fox sisters are very famous so they were they were fraudulent and admitted to their own fraudulent uh séances, but there were many women who found mm-hmm. their place in society in a Victorian society by sort of being able to put themselves forward in a way that wasn't uh, you know, what choices did they have then? They could be they could marry well, they could yeah. teach her, they could um you know, if they were lucky they might go to college, you know, there it, it was you know, or, or they lived a life of, you know, servitude, maybe they were enterprising and had, you know, were able to work in a shop, but everything was within the confines. And you know, you even have really famous women of the time like for example, Laura Ingalls Wilder who didn't actually become a published author until she was in her, I think, uh, late forties or early fifties. So um the spiritualist movement gave women this way to kind of break out of that mold and it was in the paranormal art. So I've always found it kind of interesting that, um, you know, when we look at like the ghost hunting shows and things like that today, we we don't see as many women represented in those. And yet we would not have the sort of relationship and fascination with the spirit board and the paranormal and the afterlife that we have in modern times without some of these very instrumental women. Um, and I think that, you know, that they have their own sort of underlying influence and archetype. So we have the wonder woman archetype, which, you know, I wore a wonder woman bathing suit until it fell apart when I was six years old. I mean, that was my, she was my goddess. Um, Our modern goddesses are, you know, sometimes actually very, very human and very real. And I think today we can kind of look at those archetypes, women and young women today and young men as well have a different attitude toward what it means to be female or what it means to be male or what it means to be a woman or a man. And it's not that it's gender free, but there's a certain freedom in expressing your gender in a way that isn't gender specific. And so I think because of that shift, which has really been happening, you know, it's been building up, of course, and always every, you know, things build on other movements and builds on the feminist movement. But today what we have is something completely unique. It's almost as if, you know, 15 years ago, something was unleashed from the earth that just said, (laughs) Hey, this is how it's going to be, and these children are going to teach you that. And so um they're not quite the deciders yet, but they are the ones that are, you know, crying when they are, you know, finally get to meet the real Wonder Woman. And, um, you know, they're sort of, in a long-winded way, I'm getting at the future, and that the future has, you know, sort of um the chance for these archetypes to perhaps be less... um supernatural and less uh make-believe and much more real and based on you know um you know the first woman who went into space and uh you know women uh uh, that drove race cars and and those kind of archetypes and so you know there's it 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 does take some time for those things to happen Mm um that being said I don't expect vampires and Werewolves and banshees. I mean, we kind of go through cycles with yeah, them. popularity so. in terms of popular culture. Um, yeah. mermaids are really on the rise and, and, yes. um, have, you know, you, when you start seeing mermaids in like every shop window, then you know, <sighs> or when you see, I always think when you, when you, this is how you know you've made it as a, as a writer, you find your book in a thrift store or in a used bookstore because that means that they're out there enough that people are actually discarding them. That's that's my attitude anyway. (laughs) Maybe it just means they toss them out.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, I, I mean, so I want to ask you about the idea of children versus adults. And I think the question that I have for you is, you're so close to this and you've seen the evolution of things. I want us to take a little fantasy moment and talk about, given banshees werewolves vampires and any of the above i mean we've went from poltergeist to slasher movies to all of the above and movies are a way of expression but they're not always the beginning point you know a lot of times it's writing it's art it's even music if you were to look ahead now what would you predict strange word right what would you imagine let me say it like that What would you imagine (laughs) our consciousness would call to the forefront in the way of banshees, werewolves, vampires, and anything else that goes bump in the night? What do you think is on the horizon of our consciousness to create?
3: Well, I actually think that we really uh, need a good lesson in trickery. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that you can see by our relationship with some of um our world leaders and the way that, you know, the common person is disconnected from the grand figurehead that we, um you know, people are just so easily offended and things are just taken out of context. And, you know, there's a lot of things happening online that are kind of, you know, driving this and people are making comments and they have this sort of uh, ability to be anonymous and mean at the same time. And it feels to me like we need a really good trickster. and Maybe we have one right now and we just can't see it for what it is. But, uh, you know, you have the sort of trickster consciousness. It's It's in many different cultures. I talk about it in terms of pukas, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have you have Loki, you have um coyote, you have many different forms of tricksters. And in fact, a lot of fairy creatures and magical creatures uh love to mess around with mortal man. So if I had to sort of imagine, I could see something kind of more of a greater trickster archetype really kind of taking hold. And I think I kind of said this to you on the break that I yeah. you know current climate um, seems to be giving rise to the evil clown. And I think that we see that again in, in some figureheads, but also, you know, you they're, they're remaking it. And, you know, that is probably the world, Pennywise is the world's most terrifying clown. I mean, there was even some hilarious, well, I thought it was funny where, you know, clowns, professional clowns were very, very upset because, you know, when they when the book came out in the 80s, and then they did a mini-series, you know, it really gave clowns a bad name. And Stephen King had this great response to it. He said, people, children have been afraid of clowns since clowns first existed. I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take responsibility for, you know, the demise of clowns. So we have like this sort of, you know, the, it's the next sort of, I mean, it, it's been around, but it's sort of maybe the next evil thing, and I think um, you have, in with that, you have just the idea that mm-hmm. you know perhaps we take ourselves too seriously and we need to take a lighter approach and sometimes the trickster comes in to make us like evaluate our attitude toward things sort of shake us up and say look you know you think you're doing everything the right way you're trying so hard to do everything the right way and you know you're forgetting about the basic things um which you know laughter is one of the basic things that you need in life i mean really it gets relaxes your muscles. It gets oxygen flowing into your bloodstream. I mean, it does so many wonderful things um, that sometimes we, you know, I think we're in a in a mode of taking everything just so terribly seriously. And um, so I, I'd like to see some, you know, the, the, the rise of the trickster return. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I, I want to skip the break because what I'm talking about is I'm talking about you know how ideas come. I I, I want to go back for a minute to um uh, you know the, if uh, to Mary Shelley. Those of you out there, you can go read about you know her life and so forth. But one of the things that I loved about something she said, I don't remember when. You know, was that a nightmare gave rise to the central idea of Frankenstein, right? Um, right, and she she and she recounted the nightmare. I think in one of her books, and I I, I pulled it out, and she goes on and she talks about this, but she says something like, you know, this was an example of how the heightened consciousness of terror could be transformed into brilliant and inspirational creativity, and I have to tell you, I think that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing it not just in the big screen. I think we're seeing inspired creativity in inventions that are being made, you know, in clean clean fuel. You know what I'm saying? I think people have Mm -hmm. a form of consciousness of terror in many, many aspects, even in our financial systems. And out of that, is coming this inspirational creativity. I must say that it's always fun to talk about superheroes, but the less talked about views in the world are what's rising up. What would you say about that? Do you believe that this consciousness of terror could transform into these brilliant and inspirational in in, in her words creativity. I mean she said I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out and then on the working some powerful engine show signs of life and stir with an uneasy, half vital motion. I mean she saw this.
3: She saw it, yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. I think that, you know, any time and 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 we are in a time right now where there's so much at and there are so many things that you know we are led to believe are threatening us at all times, and some of those are real threats, and some of those are imagined threats, but out of that always out of any kind of extreme situation, out of any kind of dire situation there there are that that is the um you know the the creativity happens from that. And the invention, I mean, you cannot have a cure without a disease, right? I mean, you have to have uh, the motivation, the desire to change things. And because of that, I mean, if you even think about our world 20 years ago in terms, I mean, you know, where I grew up, I grew up in this rural town in, in Northern California where a lot of people still live off grid. But at the time, there was one guy who had solar panels. Now almost every house in that county has some form of solar. And that's that's uh, because it's become more affordable, because the technology has developed, and because the consciousness has become more aware of that. So, you know, clean fuel, the, you know, kids aren't going to sit by and listen to the adults saying, oh, the ocean is dying. They're going to look at you straight forward and say, why aren't we doing something about it? But also here's here's what we can do. And I actually, one of my kind of side things that I love to do is I love to read about like kid invented products and kid inventions yeah. Um, yeah. because they will they don't see the barriers. This goes back to um, our ability to see and believe in magical creatures. It actually directly ties in because children don't see those barriers. We put those barriers on children. We convince them that they can't do things. You know whether we mean to or not, but over time, as an adult, you learn about the things you can't do. Now, some of that is because you jump off the stump five times and eventually you you hit your head, and so you think, "Oh yeah, I can't jump off that stump without hitting my head." But with children, you know, and and in something like a uh, a magical creature and the the belief in a magical creature, you they have that ability to connect to accept. To understand that that is a possibility, they don't see how that can be otherwise. And as a result, they have a different relationship to the magical world, which means that they have a different relationship to creativity. Magical creatures and creativity are directly hand in hand. Whether you think it's coming to you, you know, from an offering that you leave a fairy, or it's a divine spark in a dream, or it's a, um, you know, sort of a relationship that you've developed with something that you believe is supernatural that is guiding you, or you just call it your muse. You, there's a direct relationship to the spiritual and supernatural realm and creativity. And so we, as we sort of evolve our understanding of that, um, you know, I get asked a lot, are, you know, is, is that sounds just like an alien or that sounds just like a, you know, <laughs> this uh this UFO encounter someone had. And to me I feel that especially with fairies and magical creatures, these sort of old world creatures, it's much more likely they've been here all along. And now we might realize, oh, maybe that wasn't a poltergeist, that was a goblin, or maybe that <laughs> wasn't an alien, that was uh, you know, a crazy ride with the with the puka with the trickster fairy. So um, I guess I'm just kind of talking about that, that need for creativity and the suspension of belief or rather the suspension of disbelief long enough to allow that creative spark to happen.
2: Yeah. And, And, you know, what I love about this is talking about, listen, there's a movie coming out And, you know, how does our, what's going on underneath the surface of our thinking? Why are we having a movie that's called Geostorm about the weather being controlled and then it going out of control? I mean, you know, is this a Mary Shelley, or is this right. just looking at the reality? <laughs> so there's, I think there's right. a fundamental difference between our imagination and I'm waking up in the middle of the night and I got a nightmare about the next archetype that needs to be brought forth versus I'm going to do something that expresses the reality of our time. Sometimes I think mm. there's a
3: blurred line there, right? Oh, there's definitely a blurred line, but you also often see... um Literature, art, including film, especially, um, uh, predicting things that are yet to come. Now, is that because that artist has expressed something in the collective consciousness before it's actually happened? Possibly. Mm-hmm. But there's also a, you know, a link between, um, sort of the ability to, to see things in that way and create something beautiful out of it that other people can then digest. I mean I don't think it manifests uh the the future because I I think by that argument it's a slippery slope it's saying that because you listen to a certain kind of music you will become a serial killer. You know there's 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 a slippery slope there when you say that predictive art actually creates the manifestation of the uh, of the act. But I definitely think it's a very blurred line because you know you could run around chasing your tail saying okay, so we saw this movie and it scared us, so it made us more interested in this topic and that made more people more interested in that topic. Or why was that, you know, where did that movie come from? Did it did it touch into something? Um, did that creativity that sparked mm-hmm. it touch into something? But there's such a process with something like a movie where, you know, it's got to be approved by so-and-so who's yeah. got to approve trends. And you know, it's the same thing with books. When you submit a book idea, you have to tell them, You know, five different books that are like your book that did well and why your book is different. And that's how you convince the publisher. It's like this, but it's not. So you do have to follow some past trends as well. So, uh, But sometimes you just have to trust your instinct. And, you know, I had to fight to have Banshee's forefront in the book. I said there's so many books on werewolves and vampires. So we put banshees first, at least, <laughs> and you know it's definitely not the most popular topic of all the three. Banshees are not as well known, and they're not as quite as fascinating to people as vampires and werewolves. So, you know, the publisher had a, a good point, but um, you know, I just didn't want it to be yet. You know, there's there's twenty vampire books on on the shelf, so right.
2: But maybe it... we have to redefine the banshee because isn't it like a cool i mean when you say banshee it is like so total totally like a visual as i mean imagine if we didn't know what a vampire was right because what what was the original pronunciation vampire or something like that but when you say the word banshee you're like i want to know what that is what is that
3: yeah that's well, like and I, and- uh-oh Yeah. And the thing is, is that the Banshee, you know, I don't want to say they get a bad rap. They are (laughs) harbingers of death, but they don't, and disease, but they are not the cause of those things. So they don't cause mayhem. And I mean, they can create mayhem and chaos and there are sort of more malevolent Banshee spirits, but they exist to notify you of something. And it's usually the death or um illness of someone in your family or very close to you, and so they in that way you know they're they're more like ghosts than probably any other of the magical creatures they're often you have examples of warning ghosts and people having sort of predictive supernatural experiences where something hideous knocks on their door, and they knew that that you know that was it for their their cousin or whoever else was in the house. So you do have um kind of but they don't bring death. So they are not the bringers of death. They are sort of the warning like death is coming and you usually can't do anything about it. Um but the modern banshee, you know, is is certainly more of a warning than a than a sure thing of death, but it can also indicate, you know, a lot of chaos or um you know, something very grave happening. Yeah. And I have had many people come forward to me and tell me about Banshee experiences that, to the best of my knowledge, very much fit the definition of a Banshee more Mm -hmm. than a ghost. Something that is beautiful that then transforms into something terrifying and is associated with sobbing and then a horrible scream, usually female.
2: Yeah. You know, what I love about this is we get to play in our imagination. We get to have an outlet to perhaps explain things that are not explainable. Thank you so much for today. Averla, would you give out your website again? And thank you, thank you, thank you so much.
3: Yes, thank you. I just enjoyed talking with you so much. We could go on and on. Um, My website is varlaventura.net, or you can just look up my name Barla Ventura with two V's and my books are available anywhere books are sold they're all in print and waiting for you to buy them
2: (laughs) All right, thank you for joining me hey everybody another hour on Transformation Talk Radio coming up right now